Welcome back to the podcast. This is Charlotte Craven, Technical Director here at Evidence for Faith. And we are officially, I think, over halfway through our Keep the Fires Burning study. And I say I think because knowing Michael and how his brain works, he might add something at the last second and then my whole count will be off. So, but today we are meeting a couple of characters like last week, which are Cora, Dathan, and Abiram or Abiram. I'm going to go with a beer room because that one sounds more correct. Um, but before we jump into it, I want to talk a little bit about the ministry here at Evidence for Faith. So if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know exactly what I'm going to talk about. Um, if this is your first time here, um, Evidence for Faith is a nonprofit ministry. That means everything we do here is supported by donations. And we're actually looking for more people to come alongside and help cover uh, some of our expenses here. Now, what you might not know is that Evidence for Faith doesn't just produce this podcast and our website and the videos. We don't just do this digital content so people have a lot of resources to learn from. But we actually also go to um, different churches or groups, and some of these groups are not Christian, <laughs> to help them learn about the Bible and uh, present the gospel. Now, one of the, the policies here at Evidence for Faith is we never want someone to have to pay to uh, hear the salvation story or hear the gospel or just to even dig deeper with their relationship with God. And a lot of these groups that um, have asked us to come sometimes also don't have the resources to host us or to um, pay for like something like a speaker fee, which we never want to charge exorbitant prices on that. So following that policy of wanting to be as affordable as possible, which is basically as free as we can, um, we actually will raise funds um, and a lot of the and all the donations that come our way into our ministry, we will use them to do that missionary work on top of producing this podcast and uh, keeping the website up to date and getting that content out for you guys to enjoy. Um, so when you send donations aware, it's not just for this podcast, it's also for all that other missionary work that we do here at Evidence for Faith. So if you'd like to become a donor and be a part of this, you can um, donate at evidenceforfaith.org slash give. There's also instructions on different ways you can donate. Um, we are also even on Amazon Smile. So if you want to support us every time you shop on Amazon, you can also do it that way. Um, so that's evidenceforfaith.org slash give, evidence number four, faith.org slash give, and there's also links in the description. So with that, let's jump back into our Keep the Fires Burning study with Michael, and let's meet Cora, Dathan, and Abiram. Hi, and welcome to Evidence for Faith. It's your host, Michael Lane, back with you. So glad you're joining me today as we go into another one of our lessons in our Keeping the Fires Burning on ways to keep your, your faith going strong with God. And what we're doing is focusing on minor Bible characters, but major lessons that they teach. Now, in this lesson today, we're going to talk about a faith uh, that can get swallowed up by doubts, how people sort of see things and just... Um, and grow up with stuff possibly, you know, possibly really close, going to church, having a relationships, it seems like, with God, only to fall away. It happens uh, frequently. Um, but the people we're talking about in our minor characters are three people, actually, today. One of these three is named Dathan, another one is Abiram, and the third one is Korah. Now, 
as I said, we're studying minor Bible characters. So if none of these people uh, sound familiar to you, then I'm succeeding in, in hitting the minor characters. But this, uh, their, their story can be found in Numbers chapter 16. So if you have your Bible and you want to follow along with us, you want to turn into the uh, book of Numbers, and we're going to be going through them in chapter 16. And again, seeing how shallow faith gets swallowed up by doubts. But um, to begin with, I, I want to tell you about a story I once heard um, Chuck Swindoll tell. And um, it, it's amazing how people can see things and we know things that are, are, are supposedly testable. And we have devices and stuff that show us like what uh, the truth is on something. And still yet we doubt it, even though, you know, um, it, it's telling us as plain as can be, people still doubt things. Well, as I said, Chuck Swindoll has a story that he told in one of his radio broadcasts that uh, really emphasizes this. In the story, a man from Long Island, New York, purchased a barometer one day from a well-respected company. Now, those of you who don't know what barometers are, they're um, things that measure air pressure. Often weathermen will tell um, part of the forecast showing you barometric pressure. And when it drops really low, hurricanes and stuff like that, like when I used to live in the Bahamas, uh, we would watch barometers because it usually indicates foul weather coming. And if it gets really low, we know a hurricane is coming. But anyway, he was, he bought one, bought a barometer from a very well-respected company. It was Abercrombie & Fitch. And when he brought it home and took it out of the box and got it all set up, he was disturbed that the needle would only point to the section marked hurricane. Yeah, in New York, hurricane. He tried shaking the delicate instrument several times. You know how we do things like that. Actually, it's not a very good idea, well, uh, especially when holding an expensive and sensitive piece of scientific equipment. But to no avail, it continued to point to the same sector, hurricane. Frustrated and livid, he decided to write a, a malicious letter to the company. And on the following morning, he went and mailed it. That evening, when he returned home, not only was the barometer gone, but also his house. The needle that the barometer had pointing to was true. The month was September in the year 1938. That was a day of a terrible hurricane that nearly destroyed Long Island. <laughs> oh, yes. I'll tell you. We, we even have instruments and we have things to tell us if we're um, what we use to measure things with and we still don't believe them. Um, well, my my dad used to say that some people are like owls. The more light you shine on them, the more blind they become. And I, I have found that pretty much to be true in some cases with people. Sometimes people are blessed to see something even miraculous. Um, or even experience the extraordinary, and it builds up their faith. But afterwards, when the evidence is no longer visible, um, doubts start coming in. They, they doubt what they saw. They, they fail to believe anymore. Even though they experienced it, they still fail to believe it. This was the case of these three men, Dathan, Abiram, and Korah and their families. So picking up the story um, in Numbers chapter 16, let's begin with verse 1 and start reading for a few verses here to introduce these characters. Now, 
Well, we're reading out of the English Standard Version, a word-for-word -word translation, so you can follow along with whatever translation you have. It reads, Now Korah, the son of Ishhar, sons of Korah, sons, uh, son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Iliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. Wow, that's a lot of names there for a second, but let's continue verse 2. So we got, we got found out who these people are. Anyway, verse 2. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Now, okay, who, who are these people? Who, who are these leading this rebellion, this coup that's taking place? Because really that's what's going on. Well, Korah. Uh, Korah. Um, is a cousin of Aaron, and thus then a cousin of Moses. He's a Levite, but he's not a priest. Uh, if we go back to the ancient Jewish historian, first century historian Josephus, he gives us a little more info um, from a historical point of view on this. It, um, he tells us in the Antiquities of the Jews, Korah, a Hebrew of principal account, both by his family and by his wealth, one that was also able to speak well, one that could easily persuade the people by his speeches, saw that Moses was in an exceedingly great dignity and was uneasy at it and envied him on that account. He was of the same tribe as Moses and kin of him, was particularly grieved because he thought he deserved that honorable post on account of his great riches and not inferior to him in his birth. So here we get a little bit about Korah, that he's a relative and he's envious, and he thinks that he should be the one who should be leading and stuff. So who's the other two people, Dathan and Abiram? Well, these guys, it says, were Reubenites. Reubenites, that's from the tribe of Reuben, which was one of the leading tribes of, of Israel. They're, um, now, both these guys are also very wealthy. There is a rebellion going on in camp. To set the scene now, what's happening, there's a rebellion, if you didn't catch it, in camp. Korah is the ringleader. Um, he is thinking that Moses is no different than any other Israelite, and that he himself, because of his great wealth and social status, should be the leader. But why are Dathan and Abiram involved in this sedition? Um, well, there's actually two reasons for this. First of all, Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob, and the birthright would have been passed to him from Jacob um, back in the book of Genesis and his descendants. Um, the reason Reuben was not the leading tribe, um, it would be Judah, of course, is the leading tribe, but the reason he, uh, Reuben was not uh, the leading tribe was because of something that Jacob told him. Jacob told him, you're not going to be the leader. He didn't get the birthright. No, Judah did. Why? Why did Reuben, the firstborn, get treated this way? Well, really simply, it's recorded in Genesis 49, verses 3 and 4. He slept with Jacob's wife, um, his stepmother, Bilhah. 
Yeah, he slept with his stepmother. Um, as I say, in Genesis 49, verses 3 and 4, we read, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and my first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, you defiled it, and went up to my couch. Also in Genesis 35, verse 22, we read, While Israel lived in the land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Uh, father's concubine, that's one of his wives, and Israel, that's Jacob, um, heard of it. Now, we think, wow, that was a bad thing to do. Ooh, how uncouth, how, how vulgar. Well, in this ancient culture, to sleep with someone's wife was to lay claim to the position of the husband and the titles that they carried. Uh, we see this frequently throughout the, um, the Old Testament. When David and, and his son Absalom had their big difference, um, and David fl uh, flees for his life out of Jerusalem, um, Absalom sleeps with some of David's wives, which is, that's this culture. You're now taking over the possession and the titles, because now he was claiming to be the king. So this is something that was just cultural in this, um, in this time and in place in the world. Though fueled by his lust, um, Rubens, um, this was more significant than just being, you know, having to do with morals or scruples. Because of this sin, he lost his birthright. Now, Dathan and Abiram are the tribal leaders of the tribe of Reuben. Thus, under their, their train of thought, Dathan... Dathan should be the leader and not Moses, who was born from the descendant, descendants of Levi. Besides, Dathan and Abiram are two of the wealthiest, according to Scripture, two of the wealthiest Israelites there were. And in that culture, and even today, wealth often equals power in society. Now, how did Moses respond to the mutiny? Hmm. Mutiny in the Desert. Sounds like an interesting movie. Um, in Numbers, we still, in chapter 16, let's look at verses 4 through 7. Look how Moses responds. When Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show you who is his and who is holy, and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah, and all his company. Put fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. Now, first of all, what's a censer? Well, um, a censer was simply just a little vessel that was used uh, to, it would, uh, was carried to burn incense in. In the days of the tabernacle, they were to burn incense um, in the tabernacle, later on in the temple, of course. Um, it was a privilege exclusive to only the priests, the sons of Aaron. Failure to use it correctly would result in God's wrath and possible death. So Moses challenges Korah to put fire in a censer and the next day and see if God would approve of who was using it. 
Then Moses turns his attention to Dathan and Abiram. I'm picking this up now in verses 12 through 14. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, We will not come up. It is a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you must also make yourself prince over us. Moreover, you have not brought us into the land with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Well, they're openly defying Moses in front of all the people. Remember, this is taking place in front of the congregation. So Moses, again, does what we should always do when we get into situations. You go to the Lord. He appeals to the Lord. In verse 15, we see what Moses' reaction is. Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them. I have not harmed one of them. Notice that he goes to the Lord. He doesn't go to the two instigators. Now, with the challenge set, the contest begins. Um, Again, in verses now 18 and 19 of chapter 16, we read, So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. So we see the people are now assembled outside the tabernacle there, and the Lord himself now speaks out. And it says in verses 20 and 21, the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I might consume them in a moment. Whoa, God is ticked. Moses now sees what God is going to do. And watch how Moses reacts to this. He shouts out to the people to run and escape from the mutinous uh, horde uh, that has assembled there against him. This is in verses 25 and 26. Moses rose, went out to Dathan and to Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, not touching of uh, nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. Isn't this cool? Moses is actually going out to the people who have assembled, trying to lead a coup here and take over, and he is calling, God is ready to wipe them out. Moses knows this, and he's trying to save the people, telling them, get away from these troublemakers. God's going to wipe them out. So that, I mean, I just find that fascinating. Moses knows what God's going to do, and he shouts out to them. Now, Moses makes a final plea uh, to the people in verses 28 through 30. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die, as all men die, or if they are visited by a fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, 
and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all their belongings to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. Whoa, that's quite a statement. Um, so in other words, uh, Moses declares that if these people die a natural death, Korah is correct. But if the mutinous rebels die an unusual death of the earth opening up and swallowing them, that's showing that God chose Moses and Aaron. Well, let's pick up the story what happens here in verses 31 through 35. Now, as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came down from the Lord, came out from the Lord, excuse me, and consumed 250 men offering incense. Wow. So God let it be known very plainly who his chosen ones were, who he picked, Aaron and Moses, and that all these others, this rebellion, this, this mutinous horde, God wiped them out. Now, this is something that's very important to see now for a second. Let's take a look at this. They're, they're out in the wilderness. This is well after Passover as they're out wandering into the, the wilderness and stuff when this is happening. And there's a lesson here. I want you to think for a moment about these, the, all the things that these three people and the 250 others that went, went down, uh, these other dissidents, um, that who had, they have all observed Moses since the beginning of his ministry. You understand that? That they have followed Moses and seen Moses through all the thing, through the whole plagues of Egypt and everything like that, to uh, through the Passover, to coming out to to Mount um, uh, Sinai and everything else that has taken place. They have witnessed this. What have they actually witnessed? Well, let's take a moment and let's just describe uh, what the Bible says that these people have all actually seen and witnessed with their own eyes and ears what they have experienced. And in uh, Moses's um, time of leading them up to this point, there had been a plague of blood of the water in Egypt. That was in Exodus 7, 14 through 24. There'd been a plague of frogs. That was in Exodus 7, 25 through 8, 15. They saw a plague of gnats, gnats, little insects, Exodus 8, 16 through 19. There was a plague of flies, Exodus 8, 20 through 32. There was a plague against the livestock that they all witnessed. That was Exodus 9, 1 through 7. They had all witnessed a plague of boils on the Egyptians, Exodus 9, 8 through 12. They had witnessed and experienced this, this plague of hails, Exodus 9, 13 through 35. They had seen a plague of locusts hit Egypt, Exodus 10, 1 through 20. There was this awesome plague of darkness for three days, Exodus 10, 21 through 29. There was the plague they witnessed 
to the firstborn, the Passover, Exodus 11 through 12:32. They have been and we're watching even up to this point, fire by night to lead the way, cloud by day to lead the way. They have seen a pillar of fire to stop the Egyptians from destroying them at the Red Sea border. That was in Exodus chapter 14, 19 and 20. They had witnessed and actually experienced themselves crossing through the Red Sea on dry ground. That was Exodus 14, 21 through 31. They had witnessed Moses healing the waters at Marah. Actually, God was doing it through Moses, but all these things through Moses. And that was in Exodus 15, 22 through 26. As the people complained for, for meat and stuff because they're tiring of, of manna, they got to witness um, the coming of the quail. That was in Exodus 16, 11 and 12. Even manna itself from heaven. They were experiencing this and, and seeing this and eating this. Uh, manna from heaven. That was Exodus 16, 12 uh, through 19. They got to witness the miraculous water rushing out of the rock on Mount Horeb. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. They had seen a miraculous victory and experienced it over the Amalekites. That was in Exodus 17, 8 through 16. And oh my gosh, how many times have they heard God speak directly to Moses at Mount Sinai? Exodus 19, 20 through chapter 20. And better yet, they got to witness and see Moses coming down from God and his face glowing. The radiant face of Moses when he met with God. Exodus 34, verses 29 through 35. In light of being witness to these miracles at hand, at the hand of Moses, and I mean, let's face it, Moses has quite a resume here to show the people who God's leader was. I mean, he's got quite an impressive resume. Yet, we see that the people were not only rebelling against Moses, they were rebelling against God. God had chosen him, made it very plain, thus rebelling against God's choice in matters, you're rebelling against God. And that is made plain, too. In Numbers chapter 16, verse 11, it says, Therefore it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. Moses was telling him, hey, you're just not after me. What you're doing here to me is bad enough, but you guys are disobeying God. Your problem, you're rebelling against God. Rebelling against me, that's one thing, but whoa, this is, this is terrible to, to do this against God. Yeah, I just find this amazing that the people who were eyewitnesses of God and his power were now rebelling actually against him and his choice, not just Moses, but God himself. Now, there is a major lesson that we Christians can learn from all of this. You see, sometimes people who work in ministry fall into the same type of trap, as you see with these three individuals. They have seen what God had done in the lives of people, through them. But after a period of time, they they feel that they don't really need God anymore. They become sort of dependent upon themselves. And they, uh, when people do this, I have noticed that they usually display certain conditions that that mark this when this is happening. For one, their prayer life 
of an individual dwindles. They fail to spend quality time with God in prayer. A second condition that usually appears when people are doing this, when they're rebelling and, and no longer really following God with their whole heart, their Bible study time, their devotional time, it, it just dwindles. They fail to spend quality time in the Word of God, listening to God speak to them. So they're not talking to God. God's not able to speak to them. That's what's going on here. But there's a third thing I have seen also. They fail to spend time at church and with other Christians who are walking with God and who can hold them accountable. Having somebody be able to hold you accountable is so helpful in your spiritual walk. Going to church is so important. It's a commandment from God that we are supposed to meet together. The early church, I mean, read through Paul's letters, read through the uh, the book of Acts and stuff, and, and see that they constantly were meeting together, like at every chance they had. And we see people who start to turn away from God, their church life, and they're walking with uh, with others in the church, fail. And there's a fourth thing that I've noticed. They have a tendency to yield to Satan's temptations without fighting with the armor of God that he gives us. What precisely? Well, the arrows that Satan is shooting at us, these flaming arrows of lust, pride, lying, etc., they, they hit and they overtake and they overpower us. We need to wear this armor of God, as Ephesians 6 tells us. And by the way, the last part of that armor is prayer which is usually one of the first things that go. Yes, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram were witnesses to some of the most amazing miracles God ever conducted in human history. They saw firsthand these incredible events. But as the time in the desert went on, they fell away from God. They allowed, and here it is, pride to set in. That was their main sin was pride. That's what Adam's and Eve's sin were in the garden. Pride became the issue. How many times do we focus only on ourselves? We let that take over, and God hates the sin of pride. Yep, they allowed pride to set in. They doubted that God was really in charge. They refused to let God have leadership in their lives. In other words, they became self-centered, and in doing so, they succumb to their own guilty pleasures and temptations. It's sad when this type of thing happens, but this allows people to think that God is not that important or that his commands are not that necessary. In some cases that we even walk so close with God, uh, we feel at certain points that we really don't need to anymore. Our faith is so weak at times that Satan can easily come in and he feasts on people like this, and he devours them with savor. You know, back in the 1980s and through the 90s, there were many great artists perform, um, performing in a Christian music genre. Oh, some of you who uh, were alive and um, around back then, or maybe you collect uh, or love, love listening to classic Christian music, Names like Carmen, Stephen Green, Michael W. Smith, and others. Carmen was a fascinating one. Um, I, I am really impressed with Carmen. Um, he, for one, he would write songs and stuff, but he would have them checked by 
um, different pastors to make sure that they were theologically correct, because he was no Bible scholar, and he knew that. So he would always check stuff like that. But um, the guy, he died just a, um, a short while ago, and he was still walking close with God right up to the end. I so admire that. But one of the most popular people during that time period um, was an award-winning um, song artist named Ray Bolts. Oh, he had some massively popular hits, winning double awards and other type of awards uh, that could be uh, um, given to him. He, he got them. He had classics like Thank You, Watch the Lamb, The Anchor Holds, I Will Praise the Lord, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb, feel the nails, and many more. This guy had hit after hit after hit. Some of those he wrote, some were written by pastor friends, but some of these he wrote. He was one of the top Christian artists, and he held concerts all over the country. He was in such high demand. And at these concerts, and I attended um, Ray Bolt's concerts in the past, I was sitting there in the audience. Um, and he led many people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But in doing these concerts and serving in this ministry, he began to get depressed. And his wife noticed, too, that he was um, sleeping in late and sleeping in the afternoon and didn't have much motivation. And he seldom attended church with fellow believers. One of the reasons was because many times he was doing concerts and he was gone on the weekends, but even so, on Sundays, he would not go to church. His devotional time then began to dwindle. The time he was supposed to be spending with God, it dwindled. His wife noticed the changes in him, and it was even affecting his health. His physical health started to deteriorate. The day after Christmas in 2004, he told his wife that he was gay and soon after, he left her and his children, moving to Fort Lauderdale with his husband, who is also his agent. Ray really fell. Some will say that um, he was never walking close with God. Others say he just totally pulled a, a, a Korant here and just, just left. Um, I can't judge him. I'm not going to judge him. I'm just looking at the actions. That's all I can see is a guy who was at one point one of the top Christian recording artists singing phenomenal songs like I Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb um, and I Will Praise the Lord and, and others, but now not living up to what those, uh, particularly I Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb, I just listened to the lyrics to it again just a few moments ago before starting this recording, and I'm like, wow, he doesn't really follow that today, um, just by his own actions. I'm not judging. Please understand I'm not judging. I'm just making an observation. Um, I've come across some people um, that are saying we really need to, to pray for this guy. Um, many others, though, have, um, have left. He's not the only one to have fallen. Many people have left the truth of God's Word. Many people have pulled a uh, a Dathan and Abiram and a, and a Korah. They have, they have done this. Uh, they've left the truth of God's word and the faith and are now professing, in some cases, to be atheists or universalists that 
you know, any religion. There's many ways that point to God. You just pick whichever one you want. There's many avenues open to it. Or God is just a God of love, and he won't condemn anybody because he's a God of love. Um, and some have even joined anti-Christian organizations who were once leaders. Mm-hmm. You see, we followers of Jesus need to stay close to our Father and allow the Holy Spirit to help us grow in Christ and not to be pruned from him as a, a branch that produces no fruit, gets pruned from a tree. The thing is, we need to be careful and not fall into the category of the four things that I said before. If our prayer life starts to dwindle, we start to become spiritually ill. If our Bible reading time and spending time listening to God dwindles, we start to get spiritually ill. If we fail to spend time with others, uh, we handicap the church and we ourselves become handicapped because we're not using the gifts that he's given us, and that hurts us also spiritually. And we have to be careful because Satan, particularly if you are active for God, you're in Satan's crosshairs and he's taking aim at you with fiery arrows. We need to keep wearing the armor of God. So that's what I take from this lesson with these these three individuals. Sad lesson, but uh, we can learn a lot if we just look at what they did with their lives and we become aware of how to not fall into the same problems they did. So, Lord, I pray before everybody right now, I pray for all of us who are listening, that you help us to stay close to you. Help us to feed upon your word, to listen to you, to talk to you, not to go there um, to bend your ear, to listen once a week or just on Sunday mornings, but, Lord, to daily spend much time, because you're your spirit, as Jesus says in James 4, your spirit. The Father God is spirit. He's all around us, and he's always able to listen. And we have, as it says in Romans chapter 8, we have the Holy Spirit that helps us pray. We often don't know what to pray for, but thank you that the Holy Spirit does, and he can He can fix our prayers to the, to the Father and help us. And Lord, I pray for everybody that who professes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they stay true and that they stay close to you. And let not Satan you know, burn him out or, or just hit him with his quiver of fiery arrows that he can damage us so badly. You gave us a great set of armor. Help us to wear it. And Lord, those who are listening who don't have a personal relationship with you, I pray that they will discover um, and we're even accept that, yes, they're a sinner separated from God. And as Jesus said, I am the only way to the Father, that it is only through his death and resurrection, his blood covers all of our sin, all of our sins, as it says in 1 John uh, 7 and 9, that the blood of Jesus Christ covers all our sins if we simply ask and repent of our sins and turn to you that we live for you, and that's what we ask. And so if someone prays that now, um, Lord, I know that you're a God of promises. You can't break your promise, and you will fulfill your promise to that, and you will write their name in the Lamb's Book of Life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for joining me, and until we meet again, take care, and may God bless.
Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. Evidence for Faith is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry based in the USA. You can support this broadcast by donating online using the links in the description. And don't forget to leave us a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.